welcome back to Dad Teaches Me About Wine, uh, the podcast where we try to teach you as much as you pretend to know about wine. I am Madeline Quigley. And I'm Matt Quigley. And you know, three areas that you want to drink from. In Napa Valley? Wait, what are they? Roy. Rutherford. Oakville. Yuckville. You say it like, remember this, but it's also like, if I saw those on a label, do you think I could afford that wine? I think you could afford to buy wine by the glass at a bar. Okay. Would they have that on the... Mm-hmm. Sure they would. Rutherford? It's like, again, they're going to advertise what makes them special. Why would you? Why would you say, oh, we're just a glass of wine? <laughs> Rutherford, what are the other two? Oak. Oakville and Yuntville. Yuntville. And they are like the southern center of Napa Valley. And do certain types of grapes grow it's in only one grape, Cabernet Sauvignon. Although they do blend a little bit with other blending grapes, Merlot, Cobb Franc. Uh, but the predominant grape, ninety percent of ninety-five percent of the grapes, Cab Sauvignon. Cab Sauvignon. Okay, Cabernet is its own type of grape. Cabernet Sauvignon is a particular kind of grape. Is it just Cabernet grapes? Is that one type of varietal? It's just Cabernet. Cabernet Sauvignon. That's Without the, the Sauvignon. No. But people call it a Cab. Oh yeah, they shorten it. Cause they're okay. They short. They really shorten it. Yeah. Okay. So that's the full thing. But Sauvignon Blanc is a different thing. Completely different. Why does it have the same Sauvignon? Why does it share the same name? I don't know. All right. It just does. But the Sauvignon Blanc is white on like yes, with the Blanc. Yes, it is Blanc yeah. part. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, welcome back to Dad <laughs> Teaches Me About Wine. Every week we pick a topic um, on the more basic side of wine where... As I say inching, he says like just snail's pace crawling towards um, learning more about wine. So this is episode three, and the topic for today is, Father, take it away. Grapes. Grapes. Sounds simple, and I can already tell you it's not going to be. Uh, what are we drinking today? Actually, we've already joked about the wine today off mic. Because, and I'm going to provide a picture. If you follow us on Instagram, which you totally should, at Dad Teaches Me About Wine, you'll see a picture of this bottle, which is like trendily bare. Like the the label is basically the size of a postage stamp. White with a little bit of, is it some embossed? Yeah. And it says two things on there. Dad, what does it say on there? It says the name of the producer, which is Nichols. And the year, which is 2014. That's all it says. Tells you nothing else. Literally, Nichols 2014 is all that's on there. It's like a graffiti tag. Like Nichols was here. Literally is what's on this bottle. Yes. And it's actually very, it's actually excellent wine. Yeah, but like, how would you know that? You just do. You just knew, If you're going to spend that much money on a bottle of wine, you should probably know that this is good. I mean, right. but how would you, would you know Nichols is a thing? Or would you flip it around and see the... What does it have on the back? So what sold me was where it came from. Napa Valley. Rutherford. No, Rutherford. That's a... So Rutherford is an area we discussed labeling uh, last visit. 
And Rutherford is a small area within Napa Valley. So um, at risk of having all these wines sell out, my three favorite areas within Napa Valley um, conform to an acronym ROY. Did you come up with this? All by myself. Oh, really? Yes. Rutherford, Oakville, and Yountville. At Wine Spectator, get at him. Yeah. So these are all within the heart of Napa Valley and produce some of the most wonderful wines of all of Napa Valley because Napa Valley now is a very large area. Dude, you should write a cheat guide to Napa yes, Valley. Yes, a cheat cheat on Napa Valley. But let's get back to the grapes. So what we're drinking is a... Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, which I recently just learned is what a cab is. You'll hear, you will hear people say cab. I like cabs. Oh, it's a cab. Cab is not just a Cabernet. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon. Big so that's name. A, that's the name of the grape. The varietal dad. Come on. Pardon me. So today we we're going to talk about different grapes. And there's obviously different ways of slicing and dicing grapes. So the most uh, basic way of looking at grapes are white wine and red wine grapes, which is somewhat instructive. Uh, everybody knows Chardonnay is white wine, and most people know Cabernet Sauvignon is a red wine. I'm going to say not. That's not true, but okay. sure. But uh, there's another important detail about wine which relates to a certain extent to weather and geography, which is hot weather and cold weather grapes. So when you start thinking about wines, in addition to the basic red and white delineation, you want to start thinking about hot and cold weather grapes. So classically, the Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are considered cool weather grapes and but one's white and one is chardonnay is white red. pinot noir is red so it's like it has nothing to do with the color of the grape it has to do with the type of climate that the grapes thrive in okay and that depends just on the, the grape. biology of the grape like thick Correct. skin or no, it's not. It's or... no. It's just. It's just the way it is. But does that affect the taste as much as the color of the grape? Cold or hot, versus red and white. Um, that's a hard question. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> hard question to answer. It. I mean, each varietal is distinctive in in how it tastes, especially if it's produced correctly. Um, and certain varietals are more true, no matter how and no matter how and where you produce them. So, um, for instance, Cabernet Sauvignon tends to taste like Cab no matter where it's grown. On the other hand, Pinot Noir can be almost unidentifiable if it's not grown in conditions in which the grape. Tends to like to grow. Literally, who realized that grapes had so many varieties and could be so different if they were grown all over? The, like, like how did they realize this? 
A lot of it has to do with the uh, 16th and 17th century church, literally the Catholic Church in France. The monasteries kept scrupulous records. Um, thank you. Of what they grew. And Shout out to the 16th century monasteries in France. What they grew and and what was um, you know what worked and what didn't, and a lot of it was just the history of the area in terms of the type of indigenous grapes that happened to grow there. So, two hundred years ago, nobody imported rootstock from someplace else to grow grapes. They grew whatever they happened to have there. So there are indigenous grapes throughout the world. There are thousands of different grape varieties uh, in the world. Yeah, that's nuts. In the United States, uh, because of prohibition, um, we really... This is really sad. This is a sad part of the show. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone shed a tear. Yes, this is sad. We only grow a limited number of varietals because the wine industry really only began after Prohibition ended in uh, 1932. They took, during Prohibition, they took an axe to all of these uh, vineyards, correct? Well, not all the vineyards. Some Some of them just died out. Some vineyards survived, but most of them just died in neglect. Um, Well, that's what they did. Sorry, speaking, that's what they did to cider apple trees. Johnny Appleseed planted all of these cider trees and during prohibition they just chopped them down with an axe so they're like no alcohol there are still vineyards in california that actually predate prohibition some of them over 100 years old these vineyards are mainly zinfandel because zinfandel is closely related to a, an italian grape and it was the italian uh, primitivo and it was the italians who planted these vineyards in california when they first came to California over 100 years ago. So there is the rare uh, pre-prohibition vineyard, but probably 98, 90% of all the wine. Are those really expensive? No, not necessarily. Um, They're kind of odd museum pieces sort of things. Really? Um, But 99% of the wine produced in the United States is post-prohibition in terms of the the rootstock in terms of the vines. Okay. So we were talking about... The international wine varietals. Were we? Yeah. So the United States has uh, a handful of international wine varietals that make up most of the wine that's consumed in this country. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, most of the wine produced in the United States did not start. Did they bring over... This is something that we've talked about that I think is really interesting... Do they bring they bring over the whole plant? No, they only bring over parts of the plant. Oh my gosh, this is what's so interesting. Yeah, they bring over clippings? Yes. So they take roots and then they just attach like Frankenstein style, attach clippings from other vines to these roots and then just it grows. Yes. That is like I think he's lying. I think he's trolling all of us. That is unreal. How do they attach it? I think it's like uh, wax and glue. Are you serious? Yeah. I just can't believe. So a lot of the varieties of wine, or varietals, I guess I should say, of wine grown in the United States 
were brought over from other countries because we don't have a lot of natural ones because during Prohibition, a lot of them died. Well, no, were there ever any natural ones here? They were always brought over. There were no grape, or there were no wine producing grapes that were indigenous to the United States. Mm-hmm. There were grapes that were indigenous to the United States, but they were not wine producing. So, like um, the grapes that are used for grape juice. Or for juicy juice, juicy the, juice should probably sponsor this show. Just or, saying, <laughs> or grapes that you eat are not wine type of grapes. Okay, but they were here. They would have been here. Could you attach a fix, literally Frankenstein style, a uh, clipping from a wine producing grape to the roots of a of a edible grape? Or a yeah, I, you're getting into horticulture, which is beyond what I do. But my my guess is you could. Um, it turns out that uh, all European the the astonishing thing is that all European grapes currently produced right now are produced on uh, American rootstock. Oh, this is also yeah, big plot twist. That's pretty yeah. interesting. So in the Middle 19th century, a... Um, Which is 1850s. 60s, I believe. The phylloxera, uh, which is, a, I think, a mite. It's like a Some bug. sort of small insect. Basically wiped out, the, nearly completely wiped out the French wine industry. Okay, you said so European, but you meant but, French. Well, actually all of Europe. It went through all of Europe. Are you serious? Yes. One bug, yeah. all of Europe. Yep. yep. All of their wine. What did they do? Uh, they eventually imported American rootstock, which was uh, immune to the phylloxera. So they took our roots and attached their clippings. Yes. From their yes. dying plants. Yes. So the joke is... All French wine is on American stock. That is pretty crazy and generous of us, TBH. I'm sure someone got paid. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so there are limited, there are no grapes except for some Zin that predate prohibition in the United States. Correct. All grapes that are being grown in the United States are using clippings from other countries. Species, can we call them species of grapes? Varietals. Varietals. I don't call it. All right. Minor, they're minor genetic differences, minor. <laughs> but they produce a lot of difference yeah, yeah. in terms of the grape. So you have you you have your Chardonnay, you have your Cabernet Sauvignon, you have all the varietals that you're familiar with. And these are, are, are uh, labeled... I mean, some people are familiar with. I'm not going to... You don't need to say I'm familiar with, but sure. <laughs> but these are termed the international varietals because... They are known throughout the world, uh, and they are consumed in great volumes throughout the world. So that's why Yellowtail makes Chardonnay, and Yellowtail makes um, Syrah. And these are large volume producers. They're not making obscure grapes. They're making part of the pantheon of the international 
What does a yellowtail label say? Does it say anything on it except for like yellowtail and then the type of wine? And then the type of varietal. The varietal, yeah. Because it could be may from anywhere. May have a year. I don't know. I think it probably has a year, which is so maybe. funny. Yeah, yeah, maybe. May uh, have a year. But the thing we are talking about, which we have to go back to because I'm big picture. So like when a big sure. picture stage is set and then we abandon it, it gives me like anxiety. Okay. We are talking about uh, cold and hot weather grapes. Mm-hmm. So we're talking, I said, is it as big of a difference as red and white? And you said, well, that depends. We're going to get on a 20 minute tangent about it. Um, cold and hot grapes. You're saying that this is something people should start to learn about as much as they should learn the difference of red and white. Correct. Because it complements the understanding of geography. So why does Napa Valley grow predominantly Cabernet Sauvignon? And why does Monterey grow predominantly Pinot Noir? And the short answer is temperature, temperature, temperature. It is the difference. deals with location, location, location. Exactly. If you've ever been to Napa Valley in August, it's hotter than hell. Gets to be 100 degrees, easy. Whereas Monterey never gets that hot. It's a lot cooler. There's lots of... They're very close to each other. Yeah, they're geographically very close, but... Totally different climates because the Napa Valley is isolated from the ocean, whereas Monterey is right on the ocean. So you have all those cooling ocean breezes. So that's what contributes to making Monterey as well as Santa Barbara an area where they go where they grow cool weather grapes. So Santa Barbara. Oh, Napa's hop grapes. Napa's typically hot grapes. Yes, Cabernet Sauvignon. Hashtag hot grapes. Um, sidebar, everyone should know my family has like a massive crush on Monterey. You're just going to, he says it so casually to me because Monterey is something my family talks about like, like every other week. It's a place in California about an hour, hour and a half south of San Francisco. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth easily. Just the, the ocean, it's just cool water, ocean, rocks. You know, teeming with life, seaweed, you see otter, seals, whale. I mean, it's just a beautiful, amazing place. My family is obsessed. We have been many times and coincidentally, but probably not coincidentally, it also is a really great wine region. So we go to hang out and look at the ocean and then also drink a lot of wine. So if you hear us just casually mention Monterey, it is a place in um, California that my family likes a lot so monterey because of its beautiful cold climate is cold napa's hot weather grapes but so you should know but does that uh, that affects the flavor yes well it affects what they can grow there and if you're trying to grow things that don't match the climate you're going to have a mismatch like what is a hot weather grape so Cabernet Sauvignon is a hot weather grape. Zinfandel is a hot weather grape. So if I see a Zinfandel grown in the Finger Lakes, I should be like, no nah, thanks. Forget it. Yeah. It'll never ripen. That it, it ain't going to happen. Okay. Is that something people try to grow? <laughs> I've never seen a Finger Lakes Zinfandel. Uh, they, will, um, they will attempt some red grapes in the... Um, Finger Lakes, but most of what is produced in the Finger Lakes are 
cold, cold weather, uh, typically white wines. So Rieslings uh, are grown there. Um, not so much Chardonnay. It's even too cool for, for Chardonnay to, to ripen. Do you want to uh, quickly explain where the Finger Lakes is? I think we've said it a couple times. So the Finger Lakes are in New, in New York, um, about a half an hour, 30 miles north of the Pennsylvania-New York border. And they're home to Ithaca, which is where Cornell University is. It's at the base of Cayuga Lake and Watkins Glen, uh, which is where they have NASCAR racing and a, a big racetrack um, at the base of Lake Seneca. You know NASCAR is like one of the most popular sports in the country. Uh, so I've heard. But do you know anyone personally who watches NASCAR? No, I do not. That's what's nuts. It's like one of the most, it's like the most popular sport in the country. And right. I know no one who follows NASCAR. That's because we live in a bubble. I, I, I mean, I couldn't name one NASCAR racer. Do you know any NASCAR people? Dale. Was he the Home Depot guy? Uh, maybe. Who knows? Right? Earhart or something? No. You're off topic. Okay. A story of my life. Uh, so we were talking about cold weather. Right. So the, the Finger Lakes are cold weather. I mean, think about it. In the middle of New York uh, there never really gets that warm. Uh, you know, contrast that to Napa Valley uh, or places like that. Now, in one of the more interesting grapes, since we're talking about grapes, is the Syrah grape. So... The Syrah grape in the United States tends to be grown as a warm weather grape. And it can, uh, in warm weather, it'll grow very nicely, give you high yields and very high alcohol. So in the United States, the Syrah tends to kind of taste like a Zinfandel. It's kind of really fruity with a high alcohol content. I call them fruit bombs because they're almost like fruit punch. They really don't have a whole lot of structure to them. But the... Probably best expression of this Syrah grape, S-Y-R-A-H, um, is actually in France where it's grown as a cool weather grape. And it's a totally different experience. Um, there's really no way to describe it in words, but it's a completely different taste. If, uh, if you put the two wines side to side, you wouldn't believe that they were both the same grape. Uh, and I would just say the uh, Australian version of Syrah, which they call Shiraz, because they think they're getting back to the origin of the grape, which supposedly was from Shiraz, Iran. Interesting. Yeah, there's a town in Iran called Shiraz. And that's uh, where, where they think... theoretically the grape originated from. In Australia, happen? it tends to be grown as a hot weather grape. And again, it's a big fruity... Uh, alcoholic wine like Zinfandel, a big fruity alcoholic wine. Not wines of finesse. Tends to be fruit bombs. But this is all the same grape grown in different climates. That's right. But not all grapes can be grown in different climates. Some grapes will be a total failure if you grow them in, in the wrong environment. So maybe, you know, you've been encouraging people to kind of learn more about what they like but maybe to seek out different types of climates. But how do you know? Do you need to know like what the climate is? Because I would have thought California, okay, that's all warm, you know? 
you need to take the time to research it. Yes, you do, because there are so many what we term microclimates. Um, like, for instance, uh, Santa Barbara is a beautiful part of the country, uh, but is actually able, and it's Southern California, but it's actually able to grow cool weather grapes, uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And the reason being that if you look at a topographical na- uh, map, the coastal if you look at a topographical map. Map. <laughs> the coastal range, mountain range, runs north-south in California uh, until you get to this just north of Santa Barbara, where because of big geogra- uh, geological happenings and faults, the mountain range actually runs east-west for a little while before it turns north-south again. So there's actually a huge corridor... For the ocean breezes to come on in because the mountain range opens up. Oh. So that little microclimate in Southern California, which ought to be hotter than hell, is actually quite cool because the mountains just happen to run east-west instead of north-south. I really hope you guys have enjoyed listening to this episode of Dad Teaches Me About Geography. It is, <laughs> it's, so, it's such, a good, such a good show. Um Okay, well, I think that that like really is such, again, a different thing that you don't necessarily think about. I think you think, you know, I like reds, I like whites. I think, so I studied abroad in Prague, as my dad definitely knows, um, but listeners might not. And we had to answer all these dumb questions um, about ourselves. So we took Czech language classes and they would ask us things about ourselves. And one of the things that they would ask us because they were, it was like annoying because it was a language class, but it was also like Prague and the Czech Republic. So they were like a little laid back. So they would be like, what's your favorite wine? Like, do you like to dance in the club? So they'd be like, what is your favorite wine, red or white? But you're kind of saying like, you wouldn't, I mean, I've said to you, if you put two wines in front of me, taste blindfolded taste test, I wouldn't always know which one's a red, which one is a white. So it really depends on kind of also the climate that the grape was grown in, even if it is a white, it could taste totally different. The same grape grown in one climate versus another. Well, you bring up the very important point of terroir. So that's a French word. And it basically means like territory or ground uh, in terms of a literal meaning. But when it pertains to wine, what it really relates to is the entire environment and everything that went into making the wine. Uh, location, sun exposure, climate. And the, the wine is basically an expression of all those things. And you, you really can't isolate one thing or another. It's, an, it's a, the totality of, of how the grapes were raised. I just, and I don't mean it in like a bad way, I'm just surprised so many people care to try so many times to figure this stuff out. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's a... It's a search for excellence because people who are interested, seriously interested in wine, have a passion and they want to make the very best wine that they can. And in order to do that, they need to understand and explore all the different variables that we've talked about, plus a zillion more. Yeah, there's so many. 
But what the year lags, you know, like they, you know, they make this wine and then it's years before they drink it. How do they even know what right. variables affected it? Yeah. In engineering, that's called hysteresis, where the <laughs> where the feedback is way uh, far after the input. So yeah. you do all this input and then you don't get the feedback until a lot, a lot later. Yes, of course, that's the horribly challenging thing about it is that you don't get the feedback until later. And that's why one of the most important things about a wine is the producer, is the family, the people who, who are invested in it. Because clearly it is an investment, not just an investment in money, but an investment in time. Because there is no immediate, yeah. there is no immediate um, return. There is no me- immediate feedback. And the only way that you can learn anything is over time frames measured in decades. So that's why, you know, some of the great wine producers in France have been doing it for, you know, over 100 years. Well, their families have been doing the it. The families. Yeah. Got to grow up in that environment. But it's father to son as far as, the, uh, as, far as these wineries. And, you know, they know more about that ground and the 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 climate and everything else than you know anybody Can on the planet. Can grapes be grown out of a vine year after year after year? Um, for a very long time, but not indefinitely. Can you add new clippings to the roots? No. Eventually, they're just like we be done. Yeah, and that's uh, that's one of the interesting paradoxes about growing wine, is that. Um, as the vine becomes older, and by older vines, we're talking 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. So no, they're not young by any stretch. Their yield starts to reduce. So the amount of fruit that they produce diminishes. Um, on one hand, that's a bad thing because you're making less grapes. Uh, but... The other side of the coin is that it's actually a good thing because the lower the yield, the better the grapes. It's as though each plant has only so much essence that it can share. And it can share it in a little bit in a lot of grapes or a lot in a few grapes. Mm -hmm. So great wines typically are low yield. So, Do they say that on the label? Um, almost never. Uh, you'd have to dig into the weeds to find out what the yield is. Uh, and different grapes, uh, yields are different. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that makes sense. So, uh, like for instance, the Pinot Noir that we had in the last episode probably was yielding two tons per acre. And anything more than that would be, you're probably not making a very good wine. Now, this cab, on the other hand, cab is a much more exuberant uh, producer. So this may be three or four tons per acre and still make great wine. All right. Well, that's very interesting. (laughs) Uh, On the topic of grapes, though, is there anything that you think that we, I mean... Let's get real. There's a lot that we have not touched upon. 
We haven't touched upon all the specific grape varietals in Europe uh, that make all the different European type wines. Yeah. Um, things like uh, Nebbiolo grape that makes Barolo or the Sangiovese grape that makes um, Brunello. Like, like what I'm saying is you could put Sangiovese uh, or Sangiovese. Sangiovese, yeah. San, Sangiovese on a label and I'd be like, that's a person, that's a town, that's a grape. Like, who knows? It's my dad, that's the answer. Who knows that? But the, the thing is, how many people know that? Well, the people who've gone to the trouble of going to a wine store more likely are going to know that as opposed to the man on the street. Uh, but actually, uh, California had a fling with Sangiovese so there for about, there. A, for, for I don't know, about 10 or 15 years until they finally figured out they really had no idea what they were doing and gave up growing it. So, uh, But for a while, they were making a fair amount of Sangiovese in, in Napa, another hot weather grape, Sangiovese. Holy smokes. Another, uh, yeah. Believe me, if you've been to Brunello, that's another, you're going to sweat out the summer. So most um, vineyards don't produce much of anything for the first couple of years. Uh, they sort of, sort of hit their stride when they become teenagers uh, as far as yield, the amount of fruit they produce. And they're really mature, uh, pr uh, excellent producing wines tend to be uh, vines that are maybe 30 years old or, or thereabouts. And then once they get older than that, the yield starts to drop, but the quality actually improves. Uh, so the lower the yield, the, 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 the better the quality. So Ironically, these really old vines don't produce much, but what they produce is really good. So, but then just one day they stop producing. Well, one day they produce so little that it makes no economic sense to. So, what continue. do they do? Rip them up? Yep. And start again? It's the way of life. Oh, what's sad. Sadness. Um, yes, yeah, so this was our episode on grapes. Um, there's clearly a lot, just 30 minutes. We got it all. It was amazing. We're, we're so, so crazy. We could fit all of that into 30 minutes. Yes. We're going to teach you rocket science in 15 minutes in the next podcast. Yeah. Cause tune in next week to dad teaches me about rocket science. Oh, uh, <laughs> going to be, going to be a good one. Um, uh, we want to hear what you guys have to say. We really do. So if you could, please, please, please. Send us your emails at dadteachesmeaboutwine at gmail.com. Very simple. Spells just like you would imagine it would. Uh, or uh, follow us on Instagram at dadteachesmeaboutwine. You can slide into our DMs on there. Um, my dad just got really confused about what I just said. <laughs> but he's used to it. Um, uh, we got more episodes coming out every Wine Wednesday. Uh, and you'll be able to listen in and hear more about it but we want to answer your questions so please send them in other than that dad you got anything dad salute salute that's it all right cheers to that